This is the Verissimus Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Don Marshall, private equity fund manager, single family homes, buy and hold guy. This interview today is an absolute beast. We have Wes Knight on, who is a wholesaler into flipper, into luxury flips, and now a fund manager continuing to do luxury flips. Incredible, incredible story. And my goal for this podcast is for you to become a real estate millionaire in five years or less. Let's get into it. All right, today we have Wes Knight on, who's an established investor out of North Carolina, specifically in Charlotte, but I'm sure you're in other markets too, and we'll get into that. But we're going to get into Wes's background as an investor, raising money, putting a fund together, and the pitfalls to avoid, and basically where you started and how you got to this point right now, Wes. So thanks for coming on, man. Quickly yeah, introduce quickly introduce yourself and uh, let's get into it, man. Well, first of all, it is a prerequisite of this podcast that you must wear a black t-shirt. Uh, right. so, so I made sure that, that, that I checked that box, but no, this is the outfit, man. Uh, I don't know if you're a, uh, if you're like me, but I, I rarely do I wear another color and it's like t-shirts every day starting to get, you know, cresting into the 90 degrees here in, in, yeah. uh, in North Carolina. So it's about to get nasty, but, um, but not, nah, I, Certainly am honored to come on, come on your show. Obviously, you know, we connected through some of the content, educational content you were generating on YouTube. I actually uh, reached out to you, man, because we, yeah. we, you know, we had some more sub two uh, deals that were coming through and I wanted to be able to have a, like an Excel model that I could train my team to be able to underwrite in a different layer before they were sending creative finance deals directly into me without having any idea as to what they were looking at and how to underwrite them themselves. So that's been very useful, Dom, actually. Uh, we've, we've already Good. underwritten three remote uh, sub two deals using your model, and it allows our team instantly now to say go or no go. So they know whether or not they need to, you know, remove the deal from from the pipeline uh, and move on or, or uh, move it up uh, the pathway to to our in, you know, to our sales team. So yeah, excited to be here. Excited to learn a little bit more about your journey as well, and then share what I can maybe to help or inspire or connect. Yeah, and anyone listening, if if you go through my YouTube and you find that video, I'm willing to share it with anyone. So this is the thing. This is the nature of this business. What I found is the way that I connected with my mentor initially was he actually reached out to buy one of my deals. I put it out on a lease option. His VA contacted me. And was trying to buy it, you know, nothing down type of deal like that on a lease option. And then I was like, I want to speak to you. I want to speak to your guy. Spoke to him. His name is Greg Campbell. You might be familiar. He's uh, based out of Wilmington. So anyway, we started chatting. Um, he wanted deal flow. And I wanted just to learn more intricates of creative financing. I'd already done deals at that point. But he's a master. You know, he's been doing it for decades. So. Sure. I kind of gave back to him with, you know, marketing tips. We have a cold call center and other things. Nice. So I was giving, giving back there and he was giving back with his time. And whenever I had like a question about this deal or that deal, what do you think? He would always pick up the phone. So long, long, long story short is given to receive. And that's kind yeah. of our relationship no just started. No so. doubt. My mentor that I hop on at, at noon uh, in about 30 minutes now, we have a, yeah. every Tuesday we have a noon session where he's coaching me on, the next level uh, of, of the fund creation that we're working on right now. So, you know, 
today's meeting at noon will be all about how to you know craft a, a, a pitch deck that's less less than 10 slides so you know uh, anything that you do the the more succinct you are at it the more powerful it is right think about wedding yeah. you know s some of the best wedding speeches you've ever seen have been really short and sweet and powerful some of the worst have been the ones that are snooze fest man and you can't wait for a person to get off the stage, right? So I'm not you know, gonna that's, lie. The power of, that's the power of mentorship uh, is is you, you you get into somebody's slipstream uh, and you're able to remove those those barriers so much uh, more quickly. And then obviously, you know, uh, the mentorship side has to be mutually beneficial. Either you pay them pretty good money or you're providing some value and another level of expertise that maybe they don't have. Specifically for him, the trade is, He's wanting to grow a bit, a bit more of his, uh, you know, personal brand and his audience online. So I'm able to help, you know, engineer that uh, and give him some baseline on that based on my history with, with, uh, with branding and such. So, anyways, man, uh, love I that. love that. So let's dive into it, man. Let's get going. Yeah. What? So let's let's go. Softball question. What got you into real estate? What did that look like? Uh, that's hilarious, man. Um, I, you know. I, I had a, a career as a, as a professional soccer player here in the United States, played in the MLS for a number of years and then in the second divisions, uh, kind of wandered around there until I figured out that it wasn't, it wasn't going to be uh, a, a space for me much longer. And I got out of that and I had a, a, uh, an ex-girlfriend back when I lived and played in Vancouver for the Whitecaps, um, who was a social media manager. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, I used to laugh at her because she'd work from home. This is like circa 2010, yeah. 2011. She's like working from home. You know, she's got window companies and, and door companies and landscape companies that she's managing their Facebook and their Twitter. There is no Instagram at this time. And I'm like, man, I like you're getting paid to make posts for these people. And I'd watch her work, man. She'd like, you know, she she'd get a, she had like four or five clients and she'd sit up in the morning she'd she'd structure out and schedule out their posts and it'd take her like an hour a client and she'd schedule out a month and she'd be done and she'd have all of these posts scheduled on facebook scheduled on twitter and they she was using the algorithms to run them yeah. and then the rest of her job was as the posts would happen she would comment and engage and like facilitate community inside of it and so i remember like Man, here I am going to the, you know, I'm up at 5.30. I got to be at the locker room at 6. I'm, you know, getting my body ready to go through absolute war and, 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 and you know, traveling on the weekends. And, and my whole life is built around, you know, trying to earn this $55,000 in the MLS uh, while everybody's flying in to, to make this team to take my job. You know, it, it was the opposite situation that she had. She was having her morning coffee, you know, thinking about the post, watching Oprah. I'm like, man, like, I can't believe you're actually making more money than me. And you work for like three hours a day. It's incredible, you know? And so that stayed with me, that lifestyle. Um, I just remember she was, you know, there, there was tension in her life, but the tension was about trying to find more clients so that she could generate more income and continue to, you know, improve her ability and, and, and grow the business. There wasn't a tension every day, like somebody was going to take her job or she was going to get injured or, you know, had to perform. Most of the clients that she worked with didn't know anything about the digital space. She was leading them. They were trusting her and it was so easy for her to gain clients. All right. 
step back into 2015. I'm retired and stepping out of the game. I've got my USSF a coaching license. I'm, I'm able to coach development league. Like I think I'm going to become a coach. I get into coaching and I'm like, man, this is worse than playing. And I got the same schedule. Like this is terrible, but I'm hyper aware that, that, that I'm going to become a business owner because I know the power of what owning a business can do. I've seen it. Um, and I, I just start becoming very vigilant. And I started to notice that all, there was a trend. The players that I had, I coached U14 and U18 development league, USD, USDA development league. Uh, these are the, you know, the best of the best in, in, in your respective cities. And so these kids are, are, are trying to get on the MLS track or they're trying to get on the D1 college track. And all the dads that are showing up in like t-shirts, sandals, relaxed, like they got their kids, they're not worried about, they're, they're barely on their phones. As I start to realize the dudes that I connect with that are dads, what are they doing? How do they have all this time? How do they drive these nice cars? The common uh, theme is real estate. So I didn't know how to get into real estate. Conventionally, I'm like, man, you know, the only way to get into real estate is if you have money. So I start my journey sort of replicating what my ex-girlfriend had. I built a bit of a, a, a social media management company. I had a podcast uh, very similar to what you're doing. Um, it was a top 100 podcast in the United States for a little bit. I was driving that thing forward, had some really cool guests in the personal development space like Laird Hamilton, Dean Graziosi. Uh, the likes of, you know, uh, many, you know, K1 shorts, some, you know, uh, football players and, and, uh, you know, I can name a lot of different individuals that came onto the show. However, um, I quickly realized when I got into that business that I hated client services, that the more that I tried to, uh, facilitate business for other people that didn't understand my business, the more that they wanted to tell me how they thought the business should be run. And the reality is, is most business owners around that time didn't know much about social media. Um, and I think the reason uh, that it didn't last very long is because I just don't, I don't yeah. take instruction well. So I knew very quickly, like, all right, I, I'm not going to be in client services very long. I got to shift this model. And I started to realize that if I can shift this model and I can maybe focus on one client, but move the margins higher, that would actually be a better business model for who I actually, who I am, my traits. So um, I started to shut down all the client services model. I mean, I was running at Facebook ads, Instagram ads. I was posting for these people. It was, it was full stack. Um, so I shut this down and I started looking for a singular client. Well, uh, just so happened, guy wanted guy wanted to come on my podcast by the name of Charlie Rocket. I never heard this dude's name before. It's a good name, but yeah, but <laughs> never heard this guy's name before. But all of a sudden, I get a DM from a dude with a blue check and a big audience. He had like ninety thousand followers at the time, and I'm like, who is this guy? Char at Charlie was is is still his Instagram name. So I go researching him. He's a former, you know, Grammy award winning hip hop artist or hip hop manager, you know, uh, managed Two Changed, managed Bankroll Fresh, managed uh, Young Dolph, RIP Young Dolph, RIP Bankroll Fresh, managed, uh, um, uh, you know, a, a host of other artists from Atlanta. And uh, I start to really get peeled back on this guy's story. 
So million dollar Grammy award winning CEO uh, out of Atlanta gets diagnosed with a brain tumor, decides he's getting out of music. It's an unhealthy environment for him. Moves to California, decides to change his life. He's 305 pounds, you know, got to lose weight, got to change to become a vegan uh, and, and, and completely, you know, re revamp his, 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 his world. Ends up becoming a, 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 a triathlete. Um, you know, takes some of his money, buys a buys a a, a big traveling bus, uh, okay. covers it with uh, the Dream Machine, and rides across the bikes across America, raising money for you know for for different things. So I'm like, holy shit, this dude's story is incredible. Right. So we I, I line him up for a podcast, much like you and I are doing right now, and uh, he hops on the show. Fucking one of the best interviews I've ever had. Dude's just got yeah. a he's a he's a great storyteller. Uh, we had a, we had a, we had an awesome, I still, ha I still, I faith, I, we did an IG live. I like recorded it all. Um, and we come off the pod and I'm like, dude, thanks. That was great. Man, your story's awesome. Like, keep going. Uh, good luck. Dude calls me that, that night. He's like, bro, who are you, bro? Like, you got some powerful energy, bro. Like, what do you do? Like, how do you make money? And we were chatting. I was like, yeah, I'm actually transitioning right now. Like, I want to get shift my model to start representing, you know, some individual personal brands, specifically in the speaking world. Like, I, I really want to help help guys like yourself book speaking engagements and begin to monetize their career um, and, and, and take it to the next level. He's like, bro, I've been wanting to speak. I've never had anybody that could, like, show me a pathway to book speaking engagements. I'm like, oh, no, don't you. worry about it. <laughs> Like I'll, I'll, I'll get up in the morning. I'll do some, some R and D research and development. I'll see what we can put together. I'll see if I can get anyone interested in your story. I mean, it was ready. He had all the YouTube videos. He had all this hype reels. He had the stories already compiled. He had a videographer that was creating him content. It was done. It just needed to be packaged and sold. And I'm right. like, bro, easy. So the next day I, 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 I sign up, I like fill up this whole Google sheet of all, you know, Google speaking agencies in the United States. I had a virtual assistant database, all the speaking agencies, the websites, the names, the point of contacts, the emails. And I, bet, I built myself a little CRM. He's on the West Coast, I'm on the East Coast. So at like 9 a.m., I pop up, I'm, I'm making calls across the United States to all these agencies. And by 12, when it's not, when it's nine o'clock, in the Pacific Coast, I'd already gotten them on six speaking uh, speaking agency websites. Like people were excited about. It was the easiest sell I had to make, right? And yeah. this dude's like, Charlie's like, bro, what? Like crazy. Anyways, long story boring, we we, we, we inked a deal. It was a 10% management fee and, and we were off and running. I was going to take in 10% of everything I generated. So the generation there was speaking engagements. We were going to build digital courses. We were going to build, uh, you know, all, all kinds of digital products, uh, you know, in-person events, masterminds. And uh, obviously we were going to do consulting and coaching. You know what I mean? So, you know, he could help people grow their business through through social. He could help people storytell. There was a lot of different uh, skills that he had that we could package and we could sell uh, across. Uh, on top of that, we needed to, to ascend in the podcast world to continue to get him 
on the bigger shows across the you know across the, the podcast landscape. So you know we were going after Lewis Howes, we were going after uh, Andy right. uh, Fusella, Fusella we, yeah, 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 you know, and obviously the biggest podcast in the world at that time um, was was Logan Paul. So that was like a, a you know the that was the Mount Rushmore. So we set out on this journey. It was like January of 2019, um, and, and and we 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 bust it, and we beat the brakes off of it. In nine months, we had done almost a million dollars in in, in revenue, um, and you know by September we were on Logan Paul. Uh, wow. We were we were sitting in, in the garage of Logan Paul, and uh, and he gave the he, like dog. He gave the best podcast interview I had ever seen. Um, it, and it was because he was ready and he had told his stories enough time. We had like engineered what stories worked, like what went, what went viral, what people liked, what people didn't like. And, and we had crafted his story to a place where, man, it was ready for Logan Paul. Then we all know what happened at the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. It was a big global pandemic and there are no speaking engagements. There are no events. Um, and there was a global freeze in, in economy. People weren't spending money on, especially not on digital products or consulting. So that shut that, shut that whole business down. Right. Hey, um, I go back to my wife. I'm like, Hey, you know, I don't know how long this pandemic is going on, but I, I don't think we're, you know, this is going to be a reliable source of income. Uh, I, I, I need to take some time to figure out what's next. But along that time with Charlie, you know, he had five, you know, rental properties in Atlanta. He had talked to me about, man, when you get this money, you need to save the ace amount that you need to buy him first rental, and then I'm gonna teach you how to how to scale up from there. So he sort of planted the seed with real estate. And then when I got out of real estate, or got out of working with him, I got onto YouTube when I was shut down in the pandemic, and I didn't have that much money that I was willing to spend uh, to, to dive into to spending on going to get my real estate license or any of that stuff. It was simple, how to get into real estate with little to no money. Yeah, YouTube University. Uh, up pops this handsome black dude with a big old beard. And we all know who that is out of Winston-Salem. Max and Maxwell. It was Max. And I saw Max. I love the way he taught. I love the way he broke it down. It connected with me. I'm, I'm dyslexic just like him, ADHD just like him. And the way that he taught um, real estate wholesaling was instantly connected into my bones, into the fabric of my DNA. And so, you know, I just locked myself in in, in, a, in a in a room uh, for you know the next three four months. Studied real estate wholesale wholesaling. Studied his whole hundred k business blueprint for wholesaling business. Like that is the that that video, the hundred k blueprint, and the the conveyor belt video right. that he created are like yeah. the most iconic real estate videos, in my opinion, uh, yeah. for wholesaling. So I basically, you know, studied Max, uh, followed Max's blueprint, and you know, within 90 days, I had my first deal in Raleigh. Um, it was a $14,000 deal in Raleigh that I wholesaled. Uh, got a check in 21 days, and I was off to the races, man. Um, and yeah, here we are now. That was what, so two, two, almost three years ago. Yeah. So two things in there is where did you get this drive? Because and you started off as an athlete. But you're still hyper aware. You're looking at what your girlfriend's doing at the time. You're like, "Wow, she's got a formula here that's working." Yeah. 
then you have the drive to transition from that into that and well, give it a go. I, mean, I think I think it all I think it all comes from insecurity, man. Like at the end of the day, I've always been a super sensitive dude. Um, but the polarity of the side that side of me is like I'm also a savagely competitive dude. So like I want to be that. the best, but I also want you to like me. And a lot of times those things don't really go well together, right? Like if you want to be the best, you often, it often comes with enemies, you know? Um, so there's like this, there's like this tension inside of me that like, I'm aware of what other people are doing. I'm aware of what other people are thinking. I'm like making maneuvers and decisions in my life based as I was younger and less mature based on what other people were thinking. And, you know, it just so happened that I was a good athlete, you know, that I kind of got dealt that hand. I didn't get dealt the hand of, you know, astute uh, proneness. I, you know, school didn't come easy to me, right? I'm sitting in class, like thinking about, you know, girls or, you know, music or, or sports. I'm not thinking about, you know, how to learn algebra. And so uh, sport came really easy. That was very clear. That was going to be the pathway for me. So then I doubled down and went all in on that. Um, major decision was, you know, soccer or, or, or basketball like what, which one was going to be the one. Um, and, and, you know, in ninth grade, in the ninth grade, I, I figured that out, made the decision on soccer and, and, you know, the rest was kind of history from there. And then, and then with that, it was just, man, how far can I go? Like, can I continue to get to the next level and what does it take to get to the next level? And, um, same, same thing here today is just like, what, what type of life do I actually want to have, right? Uh, and, and what does it take to get there and who's doing it like I want to do it? Because I quickly realized, and this, this would be a good piece of information and maybe this will connect with some of your audience, but like the more I started to big, build big businesses with a lot of people, the less I enjoyed business. So what I've realized is like, there is a pathway to building a really robust, quality business that is pretty lean and doesn't require a lot of people, at least in-house, that also allows you to have a lot of freedom and a yep. lot of time and a lot of autonomy. And so I've realized over time, it's like, man, I don't need a billion dollar business. Man, I don't need like all of these employees that are looking at me for direction or for guidance, right? What I need is a system that's very clear, that's very repeatable, that over time will create enough compounding energy that will support my lifestyle, my my wife's lifestyle, my our kids' lifestyle, and their kids' lifestyle. And you know, look, we got a 30-year runway, man. Like, I'm fucking, I'm 37. Like, 30 years, I'll be 67. Like, that's just the right age of people to be retiring. If you know, if anything says what I've done in three years, what can I do? 10x that? Like, come on. You know, and so I think the last three years of getting into real estate and trying to find, you know, who's doing what, who's got businesses that feel good. At one point, this office had 15 cold callers in it, 15 acquisition managers. There, it was running like a full uh, boiler room. And when the institutional funds were buying, we were doing 30, 35 deals a month, flipping it to them. It was nuts. But I quickly realized, man, I could not find joy and fulfillment out of running a wholesale firm at that size. That's not the direction, right? And so, you know, we'll get into it a little bit deeper, but that's sort of, you know, what has led me to shed 
the things that were that has gotten me to the place that we're in now. So it sounds like you see something, you see an opportunity, you go all in because you got that competitive spirit in you, probably yeah. from athletics. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then you're not will you you're not afraid to lose. So you go all in, you're not afraid of that. All you see is the upside, so you're committed. That's so it, commitment man, is like, huge. Yeah, and it's really about like, you know, the construction of something like specifically with your, like a physical, like like your construction, constructing this uh, this table, right? Like it's really, there's savagery that goes into it. You gotta like cut, measure and cut and hammer and nail and paint. And it's like really destructive. But the finishing product, like to finish it, you've got to sand it down, right? You got to spend time with it. You got to wither away the imperfections. Like that I feel is such an important thing for people to realize that like whenever you're building something, it's going to take carnage. There's going to be lots of like push and grind and yeah. sacrifice and anxiety. And then once you get to the place where you've built the structure of what you want, the wearing away what doesn't, what no, what you no longer need, identifying what, you go to creating, in my mind, an enjoyable life, a life with consistent joy is then about, you know, the finishing product, sanding it down, really like and amplifying that. And then like catering it to the life that you actually want to live inst instead of catering it to what you think other people think you should have, right? And that's the big piece. I think people yeah. miss it more, than, more often than not. It's like they're living to try to create these things that other people see and other people have respect for. Meanwhile, other people are walking around thinking about what their problems are. They ain't worried about what you got. They're not thinking about you for longer than, a, a you know, 30 seconds. And so for me, it's like, okay, what is joy? What's joyful to me? What, what can I do every day that brings joy? How do I spend more time with my freaking wife and my daughter? Cause I love being a dad. I think being a dad is the sickest gift on the planet. It's the coolest thing ever. I want to move more and more towards being a stay at home dad where I can take her wherever she needs to go. And when we have the next one, whatever he or she needs to do, like hop in the, hop in the whip, dad's driving, like, let's go, you know, and uh, having real estate to support that uh, and having a system with good people that allows us to identify what real estate helps us accomplish that and what those boundaries are and those metrics, man, yeah. rinse and repeat. It's yeah. not sexy, but rinse and repeat. So let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Cause you mentioned, um, getting your first deal. Let's unpack your first deal. Then going from that to yet 15 cold callers, all the hedge funds yeah. are buying throughout COVID and post COVID. And yeah. then the transition from that to where you are now. So let's unpack yeah. that first deal. Let's talk about yeah. that. Yeah, and 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 like I said, man, I've got I've got wedged into to my noon. So let me try to do as most I can. And if if you want to go further with this on a different part, we we can do that. But sounds good. Um, that transition that transition was really pretty natural because I had come from team sport, um, and in uh, you know in in other teams I had been captains and I I had been a leader of 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 men in in a, in a way. So the first thing was to get an office. So we got this office. I rented it out from, from a good buddy of mine. Um, and I knew people weren't going to take my business serious unless I had a place for them to come and focus on it. So we got an office. I had one buddy, uh, shout out Stephen Duke. Got, he kind of came with me uh, in the very beginning. 
And, you know, we were putting our hard in, hard-earned $200 a, a, a month into, into cold calling and buying lists. And, and, and we were cold calling ourselves. Uh, and then, you know, the deal flow started to come. We started to do deals. Uh, we, I, I, uh, I knew I wanted to attract more people through social media. So I created the one deal makes it real check. Uh, we started showcasing, you know, when the HUDs would close and the checks would come out, we would take pictures with our checks. We would showcase that we were actually making money in this business. You know, that we, when, when people know that there's an opportunity to make money, they're going to come to you. Come in. We started, yeah, we started fielding, uh, we started fielding, um, interviews inside the office. We started hiring people. People started coming on and it was really very simple because we, you know, we had remote calling team and a remote texting team. They would generate the leads. The leads would be run through our lead manager. The lead manager would then just on a round robin pop leads one, two, three, four, five. And as, as the institutional buyer started coming on, we needed to grow the remote calling company because there was, there were more leads available. Okay. Cause owner ox were, owner ox were selling. Everybody was thinking about selling yeah. or refinancing their house. So, you know, we spread from North Carolina to uh, down into Atlanta, from Atlanta down into Jacksonville, Jacksonville to Tampa, Tampa to Kansas City, Kansas City to Louisville, like we, Nashville, we went into eight different markets so that we could, we could scrape enough data, hand the remote teams enough data so that they could give us enough leads in return. And then from there, it was like, hey, if you don't hit your leads, you either A, don't make any money or B, don't get served leads moving forward. So no problem. You don't have to sh hit your leads. Just know that your, your, your faucet will, will, will decrease. And so that sort of competitive atmosphere inside of here turned into like, man, we had guys, you know, making thirty, forty thousand $40,000 months inside of our, our, our vehicle. And everything we did was, it was a JV model. So my business would pay for all the lead generation and all the op OPEX, all the operating expenses. And we would take 60% uh, net profit from there. The, uh, the Dispo manager would take 10% uh, net profit from there. And then the, the lead man, the, the acquisition manager would take the final 30%. So, you know, we, we were, everything was on a JV. Their, their, name, their LLCs were on the HUDs uh, and we were rolling across, you know, all of those uh, markets. Ended up doing, you know, all, you know, 87, almost hit 100 deals that year, uh, 2021. So we almost ran up, uh, uh, the century mark. We didn't quite get there, but it was fun, man. Like we, we yeah. had a good atmosphere. There's a lot of good, good people that came in and, and that worked with us. I attracted a lot of athletes, you know, uh, we had a WNBA player in here. Ivory Lada, one of the best ever players in, in WNBA history. She was hitting leads yeah. with us. We had, you know, Charlotte, USC, Charlotte basketball players, football players. We had, you know, guys coming from, we had guys in our meetups driving all the way from Indiana. It was fun. But then when the institutional funds dried up, so did the opportunity. And that's where we had to scale back down. We had to shift our model. And a lot of people, when there wasn't easy money to be made anymore, you know, right. the office is pretty quiet now. So, so Wes, Wes, let's pause there because you've got your 12 and then let's yeah. do a part two on that transition. Yeah, let's do that then. So All right, Wesnight part two, we finished off with transitioning from wholesaling and that kind of drying up with the institutional buyers into what your business looks like now.
So yeah, what's man. that? What's that transition? So uh, the transition was an awkward one. We had an office full of people. Institutional funds went away. You know, the buyers weren't buying at ninety percent loan to value any yeah. longer, right? And so um, what that what that meant was that we needed to reorganize the the lead generation uh, and the exit strategy focus for the business. Um, I, for one, did not want to hop back on the call and start talking to motivated sellers all, all over again. Uh, and I recognized that there were a plethora of good deals that people were locked up in, wholesalers were locked up in, a tad bit too high. And that if we were to get them to reduce their fees significantly, we could actually buy the deals at a, at a safe space. So we targeted, uh, we, with the funds that we had generated from the institutional funds, you know, the 87 deals that we had done, uh, we had a little padding in the bank. So we were ready to buy. And so I thought that the next way to be, to add leverage in our city in Charlotte was to actually start buying other wholesalers deals and, and, and to become a legitimate buyer locally. So our, our, uh, I had two key members on my team that I was not going to, let let go one was jordan smith uh in my opinion the best uh investor focused agent in uh charlotte for sure maybe one of the best in the southeast um he can design his design beats the brakes off of most every individual that i've seen uh and he's, he's just really quality at, at at sales uh he's he sells through such an honest and um forthright and integral uh, belief system that people love what he love what he creates from a design standpoint and they want to buy from him because he's cool. You know, you've probably seen him on my IG. He's a heavier set bearded guy that chuckles like Santa and and, and is always dropping hip hop verses, you know. Uh, and then there was another guy, Gage Thompson. Shout out Gage. Um, Gage comes, uh, you know, former pro wakeboarder, uh, same lineage as, as me as an athlete. Uh, runs a successful 501c3, not not uh, not not right, right. in, in Fort Mill, uh, South Carolina, and it, we we tweaked him from an acquisitions manager manager to an investor relations specialist. So his job now is instead of talking to sellers, talking to wholesalers. And so we were you know building lists of wholesalers all throughout Charlotte, taking a look at deals, underwriting what we liked. We shrinked our buy box to 1980 or newer so we could avoid, you know, potential crawl space issues and huge foundational risks. Uh, we shrinked our buy box to 1980 or newer and, uh, and, and, and sort of stayed within that um, institutional buy box framework. So, you know, an acre or less, 1980 or newer, three bed, two bath minimum, preferred garage. We knew if they were buying it to own it, that we should probably follow that pathway and, and mimic that as well. So, you know, we bought, um, at one point we had 15 renovations going at one time, which was, you know, to one of your questions I saw on the lead up, which was the biggest mistake I've made in real estate. Um, you know, we had 15 projects going at once. We had two in Raleigh, you know, eight in Charlotte, one down in Columbia, South Carolina. Like we were so spread all over the place and we really, didn't have enough experience in construction to manage two at a time, much less right. 15. So did you, we got, go ahead. Well, it's just to back into that. 
acquiring yeah. those 15 deals, what did you come in with? Did you come in all your own cash, hard money, private That's a great money? question. How so in the beginning, we utilized hard money in the first position and we were bringing our own cash um, because at, at, that point, at that point, yeah. the, the interest rates were like nine and a half percent with one and a half percent origination. Like, cool, we're, we're needing to bring 10% down, you know, at a $300,000 purchase yeah. price, that's 30, that's 30 grand. After all the, you know, we were making $30,000 licks of a property with these institutional funds. So cool. I was thinking, all right, I could project out at this pace, you know, we could probably carry, you know, 10 at a time, right? Well, very quickly, there goes $300,000 of, 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 you know, capital that was inside of the business for operating expenses that's now out operational inside of the properties. And now like the next, the next challenge is, oh, I've got to, I've got to, to rework my projections because we thought these things would sell in four months, but we're not even finished with construction at month four. We need to project out maybe six, seven months. Then we got ourselves into like a real big bind with capital because we, we put yeah. way more capital out and we over indexed um, the 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 amount of time that it would take. Like we we significantly uh, we significantly bet that our our timelines and our time horizons would be you know uh, eighty percent of what they actually ended up being. So you know those are those are gross mistakes when it comes to construction um, and the scope creep there that carrying costs will leak out of the deal that, uh, you know, having to send multiple crews back in because the crew before did bad work and you had to fire them. And like all of the headaches that come with construction, material inflation costs and all that stuff, right? Added up along the way. And we, we were fortunate enough that we only got stuck with one property. I only had to burr out of one deal. That deal still to this day gets, uh, gets like, negative reviews on on short-term rental because people think it's haunted like the electricity will just turn off all of a sudden so that thing still is like you know haunting us literally but we we, we kind of got out of that season um and uh and and sort of you know we're, we're able to recover with you know we, we took some losses but nothing that was uh devastating yeah you know so um, so you yeah. went you went from a wholesale company doing what ninety eight deals in that year to institutional funds. Saw yeah. what they were buying. It was like, well, if the, it's good for them, it's probably good for us. Yeah. And then you went you went into the construction business, which is not fourteen day turnaround checks. Or yeah, no, turnaround no, checks. it's the exact opposite. Yeah. And did you and, go ahead? Did you also, when you're going through that construction? Did the hard money make you pay up front for construction and draws back? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so you have to see so outlay in those funds. Yeah, so we're floating the, the the construction costs, so the cost of labor and the cost of materials up front, and then you know we're having to have draw inspections where they send an inspector out, and you know they'll they'll only you uh, release funds based on the percentage of completion at which it's been done. So like. Yeah. We may have paid for all cabinets, but if only 20% of the cabinets are actually set and installed, they're only going to pay us back for the 20% Well, now you got these cabinets times five because they're all relatively on the same timeline. Cabinets are like 6,000 a pop at a minimum. So now I got $30,000 in cabinets 
and only 20% of that's coming back. I can't roll it yeah. in to the next, you know, into the next property. So then I had to start getting creative and start learning how to raise capital and infuse other people's capital into our deal so that we could pull out some of that cash. So I was selling off equity in the deal essentially um, by raising capital. So then it sort of helped, it helped me evolve as, a, as an operator to be more than just, you know, a wholesaler that generates deals, more than just a, uh, an operator that, you know, works with a project manager and a, and a designer to facilitate the construction. Now I got to go out and I've got to, you know, project the returns for people to place their capital in their deals and, and secure their deal to the property. So then it was like, okay, now I got to go out and talk to people with money. I got to show, showcase what we're doing and I have to, uh, ensure their, their comfort or their, uh, their, right. uh, you, you know, their, their stamp of guarantee. Yeah. So that was sort of where I began to shift as uh, once again, into a seat of starting to raise capital and, and, and starting to fund our deals with other people's money. And that was probably yeah. a year ago now where I took on our first, um, our first outside capital investment in fusion. And now I just looked at it earlier today in my, uh, in my investment session, uh, we operate almost a million dollars of outside capital across six different investors. So we've got you know six different investors and operating almost a, a million of, of, of capital throughout those six. Uh, and we infuse those um, into, into our deals currently. And now I'm looking to evolve to clean that up so that we can pull that money into a fund. So instead of you know, securitizing these individuals on a deal by deal basis, we can wrap that million into all of our funds that we do in our model and people can you know, share express interest on um, preferred returns plus uh, carried interest at the yeah. end. For those of you- let me, let me reframe that and then correct me if I'm wrong. What you were doing before was you'd get the property, you'd tie it up, take it down, start renovating, then yep. bringing capital. You're flipping that around, raising the fund first, and That's then it. doing a doing a capital call from there. That's it, man. And, and and the benefit for me is that it allows me to get into the properties with other people's money. A right. We, however, it forces me to die to myself in the sense that I no longer work for myself. In this model, I work for my investors. Yeah. Right. So I now am bringing on investor capital i my job is to get them excellent returns in this case the best return that i can get to get them is 15 percent irr uh and i got to keep them safe and updated right and so now my job is to go out and raise good capital secure it in the fund secure it in good deals that we believe we can get a minimum of you know 10 percent uh but but most often we're shooting for 15 plus returns uh and i've got to give them a pathway for 20 flips a year, every year for 24 months. So now I'm taking people on a journey of like, hey, you're gonna get into to these deals and here's our buy box. We're gonna buy good properties between 250,000 and $450,000 acquisition price. We're gonna be between 60,000 and 150,000 in construction costs. And our goal is, you know, six month timeline per project. Great. On top of that, you know we have an appetite for luxury flips, lakefront flips, 
we're gonna we're gonna create a, a pathway for two a year for the opportunity for the fund to be invested in so that we could potentially enjoy a high upside and high return right. in that luxury model. So it allows me to incorporate everything that I'm currently doing into one vehicle that you know the limited partnership or the fund where people place the money uh, is actually the owner's ownership stake. My general partnership is a small 20% share member of that that's basically just using the, the, the system that I have and the vehicle that I have to operate the capital and protect, yeah. you know, and protect yeah. the capital. You don't see you don't see all this on HGTV, do you? <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> yeah. You know what, man? And, you you know, yeah. and I was just listening to Pace Morby's podcast earlier today. Uh, a buddy of mine said it, and, and he, I think he's right now structuring a fund. He's trying to go out and raise two million dollars, but I think that two that fund is going to be focused as a debt fund. So he's trying to like utilize other people's money to get in and to secure like transactional funding deals or short term gap deals. Because he sees right now, it's more advantageous to be a lender in this season in in, in the market than it is as a you know as a as a renovator, right, or as an investor. So um, you know, it's interesting to see how people are interpreting the market. You know, it's traditionally harder to raise money right now um, because the cost of everything is so much more significant. And so it's interesting to see people at, in different spaces with different access to opportunity, how they're utilizing fund models to get in and, and, and to execute against opportunity. So what's what's your feedback been like? Let's unpack the fund a little bit. What's your feedback been like offering a 15% return? The way when I've spoke to some other investors, what they come back, some of the pushback, I'll give you this and then. Yeah, Give it back well, to I, had, uh, I had three phone calls last week. I raised $110,000 on three calls. So, awesome. um, you know, what's your, what's your pitch? What's your pitch? Uh, so first and foremost, I only, I, I am interviewing them as much as they are interviewing me. Okay. So I have a very specific avatar I like to work with and yeah. I'm going to be bougie about it. Dude. Like I like working with pro athletes. I yeah. fuck with people that are like me because they understand me. They know how I'm going to operate. They know that I'm going to bust my ass and I'm not going to be lazy, but they also know that like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to win. So, so there's this, there's this level of, of respect that's already there based on where they come from and where they know I come from. Right. So, you know, the, the athletes that, that I have found, that really connect with me for some reason initially, oddly enough, has been NASCAR. Uh, NASCAR. Really? So pit crew, we're obviously in the hub of NASCAR here in Charlotte and Mooresville, you know, NASCAR Hall of Fame is in downtown Charlotte. But didn't, like, didn't, I gotta, did, yeah, didn't, but, didn't, didn't Jordan just buy a NASCAR team down yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bubba Wallace is one of his premier, uh, yeah. premier drivers. But I got a real good buddy in Corey LaJoy. How I met Corey LaJoy was from, he was on my podcast back in the day. So he became a friend. He got interested in what we were doing. We were flipping a house right down the road from his. He used to ride up with his, uh, with his son on his bike and check out the house. And, you know, his first investment with me was two years ago on a, on a trailer in Kings Mountain. You know, I think, wow. he, thir I think he threw $30,000 at us and we worked through this, uh, Trailer, I think we ended up making him between four and five thousand dollars return in like four months. 
and then we grew as 30 to 60, and then we grew as 60 to 90. And then most recently, you know, in the lakefront flip, he, he brought a hundred, he brought his crew chief, his crew chief brought 50, uh, and then his, um, his, uh, his engineer, his, his car engineer, uh, brought another 30. So, you know, we're a hundred and $180,000 in on our third or fourth deal with, with Corey. And now it's extended out into this NASCAR market. Well, last week, three more NASCAR pit crew guys, they got their liquid 50 K. They don't really know what to do with it. It's earning 0.01% in bank of America. Corey's like, Hey, this is what I'm involved in. Like, come take a look. He opens the door. I have a call. They got to talk to their wives. Wives are like, you know, as long as it's 50 K that they're not, you know, going to lose sleep. Mm -hmm. over. That's the one thing I'll yeah, say. Yeah. If you're going to give me this money, I need you to forget about it for two years. And I need you to be okay with me sending you videos of like, you know, construction stuff and coming on. Feel free to come on site, bring your kids and let them know you're investing in it. And they can see all phases of construction and learn and so on and so forth. And these guys like the idea of seeing their money come out of their bank account and go into a real asset that they can walk up to, they can be engaged with. Um, and then they're like, they're just as competitive as, as you and I are, right? They're like, yo, what are we going to list for? Like, do we think we're going to get it? Like, how did the show yeah. go this weekend? You know, and, and they're they're engaged and they're excited. And 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 it's it's almost like a fantasy football league, so to speak, uh, for some of these guys. And every house uh, has, you know, it, it has meaning because it has their money tied into it. So I like that feedback loop and I get that feedback loop with athletes. If you turn me on to a, an investor meeting and it's a bunch of suits that are talking about conditional annualized return and are asking me about, you know, uh, risk adjusted rate of return and shit like that, like you're going to find me say, guys, you know, not necessarily, I don't know that this is the right uh, opportunity yeah. for this, you both. That's that's the piece that I might have been missing because what I was going to transition the, the question into, and I'm up in New York, so it is a bunch of suits. But sure, they, have, sure. they have capital. But there's nothing with... wrong with suits. Like yeah. suits make great money and they do amazing things. It's just not the yeah. energy that I want to have around me when it comes to what I'm doing on a daily yeah, I'm I'm getting I'm getting if you're giving me a fifteen percent return, I can put that into six month T bills and get the same return. I'm like, bravo, like that it's I'm, not I'm probably fit. going for the wrong avatar. It's the wrong product market fit. I believe that I could sit yeah. inside a NASCAR. I have shown a pathway to Corey and, and I incentivize Corey on one percent of everything that he brings in. So for every hundred thousand dollars, you know, makes a grant, right? Which is not money that's gonna change his life. But it helps him see that the benefit of like just telling people about what we're doing, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I know that I could sit in, you know, at three million, we need sixty individuals at fifty thousand dollar minimum. I know I could sit with Corey over the course of six weeks, and we could go raise three million just in NASCAR, but throughout all the pit crew so guys, throughout a couple of drivers that might bring in, you know, more than fifty each, uh, and we so can focus just on that. So one thirty thousand dollar initial investment into the I think you said it was a trailer or a mobile home has transitioned into potentially millions of dollars. I mean just I from that one thirty Corey and I own a house on the lake right now in Lake Norman. We bought for one point one million dollars. We will put three hundred and twenty thousand into it, probably three thirty. 
We'll put 330 into it. We will list at 1799. Okay. And we think 1799 is going to be a competitive price point where we may get a bidding war. Okay. That $1.1 million asset, the tax value of the land is 1.025. Okay. So the land value there is 1.025. Yeah. Okay. I need to bring. I think it was $225,000 cash to close. I went to Corey, Corey brought me 180. He gave me a hundred of his own, 30 from his uh, from one guy and his crew, 50 from another, there's 180. So the Delta, I had to go in. It's way easier to raise, to, to put 45K in than it is 225 of your own money, right? Now, yeah. I needed Corey, to know that my money was involved in this deal. I had skin in the game. So I brought the 45, boom, 225 cash to close. We're in, we secure the loan. Man, we just put windows in yesterday in this thing. Like Love we're that. flying. Corey's gonna be heading out to the property tomorrow to meet me just to sit out on the dock and and and, <laughs> and, and like chill, you know? Yeah. And so $130,000 investment turned into a good friendship. Like he sees me working for him. He sees me like eating shit when he knows that like, I got to drive out to Lowe's and go pick up this flooring or like this different yeah. tool for, you know, I'm like, here I go, Corey, like just working for you. You're my, you know, fucking boss now, you know, like giving him the banter, but it's, he knows right. I'll do whatever it takes to protect his money. He knows I won't put him in a bad deal. And because of that, now he's telling other people, and look, I, I'll be interested to see in six months from now, you know, where, what that, uh, what that integral work to, to do right by people, to treat them well and to secure their money, to make sure that they're, they're taken care of, what, you know, what that compounded interest can do over yeah, time. I think one big decision that you made, which is probably a big transition is going from doing a small level flip and doing yep. that at scale versus yep. going after the luxury market. I can project manage two or three at a time with a bigger upside. That's it. That's it. So, and I think that, I think that, you know, with, with great risk comes great responsibility, right? So, you know, I, I worry about the, the luxury renovation, you know, um, we get a stop order, stop work order from the county and, and they shut something down or we fail an inspection and it puts the trades back you know like there are so many different um variables that can come into place in construction whenever you're laying your hands on on property that can increase risk so you know yep. I, I do worry about it because you know i don't know where the market is going to be right now we intend on listing in mid-september difference between mid-september and mid-october right and the market inching towards winter Close, yep. yeah I, don't really know. So like every day matters. I think the carrying cost on that bad boy is like $267 a day on the cost of the money for that. Yeah. Right. Like that's expensive nonetheless. So every day a, a, a contractor's not out there is throwing $227 in the dumpster, you know? So there's those variables about it, but long-term focus. Um, I really have, I really thought that I wouldn't like working for other capital partners. I didn't think that I would like, other people being invested in what I'm doing and having the ability to tell me good, bad, or indifferent. I have come to realize 
I love making other people <laughs> like I can hear it. I can hear it, man, from the first part. Yeah. Like I, I'm making people money. I'm showing the hustle. I'm exposing the team. We look like we're a good fit, right? Like it's a quality squad. You know the squad when you were playing ball that came out, they always had the nice cleats and the good unis and like they, they, they had the, the, the aura about them. When, That's right. when, we go, when we go places now in the real estate investment world in Charlotte, people know who we are because we do good, we do good work, you know? And we've, you know, we, we've earned that reputation to a degree. And I have realized that now more than ever, sitting as a fund manager fits me because I like to work hard and I like people to, to, to make people happy. And I derive happiness from like seeing other people excited about what it is that we're doing, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's a good spot for me to sit in. I can't tell you the unhappy days I had in this very chair when I was trying to force myself to stay as a wholesale operator. And I was like, my soul was withering away because they didn't have the component that my life didn't have the components that were necessary for me as a person to bring me joy. And, you know, to go back to what we were talking about earlier in the podcast, like it's one thing to construct it. It's another thing to finish it, to shave off what you don't like in your business, like to constantly iterate and, and adjust and figure out, you know, what works for you, what works against you and, and be, working on that thing um, and, and, and improving it to fit you. Because dude, here's the reality. The days that I go home and I, and I hate my business, I'm not a good dad. I'm not a good husband, right? I'm yeah. like in my head, I'm, I'm not engaging. I'm not, you know, I don't leave my phone around my daughter and, and spend time with her. I don't like being that. So how do the, the way that I think we as people can, can show up better in all aspects of our lives, is just trying to figure out how to craft more joy, you know, into what we spend our time doing every day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's shift gears and, and, uh, explain to someone that hasn't, doesn't have a fund or doesn't know how to put one together. How yeah. does it work with GPs, LPs? Yeah, how do you great. put it, how do you piece it together? Great. So first of all, I'm not a, an attorney, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm not a, a CPA. Those are two individuals that you're going to need to have on your team and a, and a budget yeah. for inside the fund that are going to guide you um, from a risk management standpoint. However, it's really pretty simple. There are two entities. There is the LPM entity, which is the limited partnership. That is where all the money goes. That's the pool of money. Um, and there should be a, you know, a small amount of raise that you want to generate. And there should be a minimum amount of investment, which, you know, is the lowest barrier to entry. Okay. In our case, there are 60 available slots at $50,000 minimum for a, you know, total uh, raise of $3 million. Um, so that LP fund uh, owns 80% of the, uh, of the operation. Okay. My GP fund, which is a general partnership, owns 20%. So inside that general partnership is me and like my business and I pay out, you know, my project manager from that business. I pay out, you know, the agent, the designer, you know, the construction costs, all that gets paid out by the general partnership. Okay. The construction company. And I manage that. I am also though an LP partner. I'm going to put $50,000 in. So everybody sees, okay, 
the guy operating this also has skin, yeah, skin in the game, right? So there's an 80% partnership for the LP and a 20% partnership with the GP. The LP is the entity that owns the properties. So on title, the LP entity, Keep Going Ventures, KGV, that will be the, that will be the entity that takes title. And the general partnership will basically be on, uh, on, on the HUD as uh, joint, joint venture partnership payouts, profit shares at the end, right? So um, to make it very simple, there are fees associated to the, uh, to the transaction that help the GP entity make money for costs of, of the operation. So there's a 1% acquisition fee. So for every $100,000 in property costs, we get $1,000. So if it's a $400,000 house, it'll be a, you know, uh, a 1% acquisition fee, $4,000 to acquire the house. For a project management fee, there's 8%, the cost of construction. So for every $100,000 of construction, there's $8,000 that goes, that runs from the, the LP company into the GP company. That's to pay for the project management, okay? For project manager, for cost of materials, for labor, for all of that. And then there's a 1% dis, uh, dispo um, fee on the back end when we sell it. So we offer a 2% uh, listing fee to the listing agent because, hey, we're going to give this listing agent a pathway to 20 flips. So, you know, yeah. we're going to package you up 20 flips. You need to take a, a lower percentage. They'll accept the 2% listing fee. And then me as the, uh, as the operator, I'll take that extra 1% on top of it on a payout. So, you know, you're basically the, the GP operation is basically taxing the deal at 5%, if that makes sense. So do you take that, do you take that upfront on a That's pro correct. forma from the LP and, funds? Yeah, so I, I, those payouts will happen when the property gets acquired and then on a project management basis, they'll get paid out quarterly. Yeah, and then a dispo will happen at, on HUD 1% will, will, be, uh, will be distributed to the GP uh, fund. Now, here's where the good side is, the kicker, okay? So we give an 8% preferred return on people's money, okay? Uh, then we go to a 2% catch-up. So that fits the 80-20 model. So 8% right off the top, preferred goes to the LP uh, entity. Then there's a 2% uh, catch-up. That 2% comes back to me. That gets us back level at 80-20. And then from 10 to 13%, if I can get my investors between 10 to 13%, the waterfall or the profit share at the end of the year is 70%. It goes from 80-20 to 70-30. Okay, so now I've increased from 8% above 10, from 10 to 13. Now, because I've earned you more money, you're going to share a little bit of that uh, capital interest or that, that, that profit share at the end. And then if I... From so any, 15 and above, any, if I get you 15 or above, then we split that 50-50 on, on the back. So would it be right to frame it as kind of tax brackets? Anything within this percentage, anything 10 to 15%, 70-30, 15% 15-50, but they're getting an 8% preferred. preferred. So 8 that goes preferred to them first. All no the time. Absolutely. Um, and, yeah. and that that helps us back in with our model, our Excel model, it helps us back in to, okay, we think we're going to buy it 
400, we're going to need to put 120 in. There's going to be, you know, X amount of interest rate and, you know, the time horizon is six months. So we estimate if we stay within these timelines, this deal could probably net us 15% IRR on the year, right? Or on the deal, on the return. Why? Why, why did you structure it that way? Uh, because I wanted to, A, I wanted it to be, I think that if somebody can get 15% on their $50,000 in real estate, I think that is largely attractive, largely attractive. I think it is an easy sell for you to be able to say, hey, look, I want to get you 15% returns on your money. I think I can get you more than that. But in order for us to engage in that, if I get you more than 15, then we're going to, you know, divvy up or split more of the profit share on the back end, right? It's an incentivization process for me to defer interest to the back of the, uh, of, of the year post annually, right? So I think that the small fees inside of the, uh, inside of the fund allow for the fund to operate um throughout the year without feeling cash crunches right so if you break it down you're looking at mm -hmm. if i can do 12 properties over the year at 100 and this is called 120,000 in construction costs and an average acquisition fee of three thousand or three hundred thousand dollars and an average disposition fee of $550,000, you're looking at about $30,000 a month of operating expenses that will flow from LP to the general partnership monthly. So that's monthly the, 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 the company, the limited part or the general partnership will take about 30K. My OPEX is, my operating expenses right now about 9K. All right, well, that's 20K a month that the general yeah. partnership is generating that can be utilized, you know, to pay for operating expenses, can pull that out of that business to invest in real estate myself. But really all I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis is going out and raising more money and underwriting good deals and marrying the two, right? It, I'm out of the weeds of needing to go and talk to sellers now. I don't need to talk to sellers. I need to generate wholesalers, yeah with, you know, they, they, can, they can find good deals and bring in good deals into, in good areas, into the fund, and then managing the operations of it, right? On a day-to-day. -day. Yeah. So as if I invest into your fund, when should I, what's the time frame of me seeing yeah, that return? Is it just, do you get paid out so as, you, as you a deal closes? A or is it paid runway, so, so two years and then, uh, from point of launch, the first distribution happens quarterly distributions with an annual waterfall. And so that waterfall is, you know, you take all the profits that are generated after expenses, and then they would pay that waterfall out based on the performance metric. So did we hit 13% or more? Did we hit 15% or more? And then how much money did you bring in right. to, and you get paid out what's called per rata or based on the money you brought in. Yeah. So that's probably subject to Correct. Disposing Correct. of Correct. a deal within Absolutely. that first quarter. And so right. in the event right. that there are closed. still deals the that have not closed yeah. at the end of that 24 month timeline, 
we would just liquidate those assets as we can to to essentially um, to essentially roll the fund up and in, in, in the fund uh, from that standpoint. And then you know the next stage at that point would be deciding: Are we going to go out and you know have a bigger raise for another flip fund, or is now the time for raising for assets under management and, and going out and buying properties to put in a portfolio um, and, and to hold those? Uh, over a you know a season or a period longer term. Yeah, I'll be interested oh. to see that when that comes. But it sounds to me that it's a no, it's a no brainer to me if you have money sitting in a bank doing less especially, than one cent. Especially if you don't need especially it now. Especially if you got somebody that is on site consistently and is sending you in consistent updates. So we use a we use a platform called Builder Trend. And Builder Trend's like seven hundred dollars annually. It's a cost yeah. to the fund. With Builder Trend, from the onboarding process, they talk to the attorney. Come in, you, you pledge. Talk to the attorney. The attorney gets the docs up. Docs get signed. Once you get signed, the money gets wired into the into the LP account. From wiring, the LP account comes in. We we send you a care package. You get a care package sent to your to your house. Okay. From inside the care package, you get logins to your Builder Trend. We get notified when an investor logs into Builder Trend, and inside there, my project manager is to get weekly photo updates of what's going in on the project. And inside of there is like your your small Facebook group, so to speak, where like people can comment and they can see what's right, happening, right. And, and like you're engaged for as much as you want to be on the project based on that platform, uh, uh, you know, digitally. So you know, the system allows for the updates and guys that want to come and check out the properties great we got other guys that live in other cities and they're like dude just make sure the check doesn't bounce and arrive it arrives on time you know and that's also great that's also great so yeah do you think last question do you think your investors are betting on the jockey or betting on the horse meaning are they betting Man, on you or you know, are they betting on the deal i think People have called. People have coined my my energy puppy dog energy, and and I, I like that. I feel like it's it's probably pretty true. I'm 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 I'm. There's a reason I had success with Charlie, uh, and it's because I'm a really good hype man. Like if I believe in something, I, I can make people. I can get people. Like, I can either make you really annoyed with me and tell me to shut the fuck up, or you're like, damn, like he believes in that, and maybe I should believe in that too. I think there's. I think there's yeah. a piece of me getting people juiced up for what we're doing. And I also think that utilizing social media over the last three years and showcasing the projects that we're working on and the track record that we've had, and people can go to our page on social and they can see the renovations, they can see the turnarounds. I think now people trust the track record. And so now they know, okay, he's not just a Pied Piper yeah. like, this dude's got a good team and he works with good people and they actually make dope ass shit. Like I can invest in this company because what they do is cool. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a bit of both, but you know, I'm definitely someone that will, you know, pie piper it up and, and, and get people excited about things for sure. I love that. I love that. Well, Wes, let, let's hey, wrap it up here. I Thanks for getting you, on. You How does someone- ability? In podcasting, Go on. my challenge to you, brother, is to grow this thing, dude. 
I think you got, I think you're onto something here. Um, my challenge to you, brother, is to grow this thing. I'm going to do my best, man. We're pushing it out there. So the best thing that the audience could do is comment, like, and share this. So we're doing our best here, but, um, how does someone reach you to invest in your fund or just to talk to you? Yo. Hello? Hello, sir. Hello, sir. Hello, sir, to you, sir. Sorry, I missed you. Talk to me. I was just providing an intro to an acquaintance. Uh, no need to do anything other than that. She would be eager to earn your business if you had something that you wanted to toss her if you're looking for a uh, seemingly very sharp, although I've never used her for anything business, Indian attorney. Uh, she is what type of attorney? Sorry, you broke up. She is a residential closing attorney. So she's like, time this can be and involved in the details, and that would be that. Uh, I love it. Sounds good. Yeah. How, how did you meet? You're in love with Gary Marsh. Not personally, but you know, <laughs> it makes life a lot easier. And there's not much doing, but you never know. She, where is she based out of? Valentine area. Okay. So um, I think she's North Carolina, South Carolina, worked for another attorney for a long time and started her own deal. Great. Are you going to 
do an intro via email, what's the best way? Uh, I've already done that. Oh, just, awesome. So, yeah, intro's on your email, favorite if you need it. No need to feel obligated to do anything. Quite literally an acquaintance, but cool. Can be there to earn any business that we control Love it. All right. This is the Verissimus Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Don Marshall, private equity fund manager, single family homes, buy and hold guy. This interview today is an absolute beast. We have Wes Knight on, who is a wholesaler into flipper, into luxury flips, and now a fund manager continuing to do luxury flips incredible incredible story and my goal for this podcast is for you to become a real estate millionaire in five years or less let's get into it 